Bibles to Job chapter 8. Job chapter 8 as we continue our studies in Job. And this evening's study is entitled, Bildad's First Response to Job. Eliphaz, at this point, has had his time with Job. Uh, Bildad's going to now jump in and, and he's going to have his first response to Job and the things that Job has said earlier on. Bildad was upset because Job was still saying or claiming that he was innocent while he was claiming God's fairness. And the basis for Bildad's argument about the fairness of God, it was correct. But Bildad's idea about God's fairness wasn't correct. In other words, God couldn't be unfair. God couldn't be unfair. God wouldn't allow an upright man to suffer. That means Job must be unjust. He must have sin in his life. Bildad felt that there were no exceptions to what he believed. And like Eliphaz, Bildad was dead wrong in thinking that suffering comes only because of a person's sins. Bildad was even less sensitive and compassionate, saying that Job's children died because of their wickedness. And when we first met Job's three friends back in chapter 2, verse 11, they were named in this order, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. And it was probably because of their, you know, respected position. Bildad's first speech isn't as long as Eliphaz's first speech. It's shorter, but it's also more brutal than Eliphaz's was. It's more blunt, and it's harsher. And some of the harshness was clearly brought on by Job's response to Eliphaz's first speech, because his response was critical about the way God does things. So Bildad starts off his first speech with some criticism of Job. His first problem is with Job's comments. So let's look at chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. Then Bildad the Shuite answered and said, How long will you speak these things, and the words of your mouth be like a strong wind? Not too cool, Bildad. His, verbal, his, his first verbal attack on Job is about his response to Eliphaz. By saying, Job, it was too long. Yeah, maybe it was a bit long. But you know what? So was Eliphaz's. So Bildad is hypocritical about Eliphaz. But Bildad doesn't talk long in his first speech. One way to criticize what somebody says is, man, you're, you're, you're talking too long. And so Bildad attacks how long Job's speech was. And according to Bildad, Job took advantage of the patience of those that he was talking to. And when Bildad said Job's words were like a strong wind, Bildad isn't being very complimentary. He's not being very nice here, describing Job's words as a windstorm. You know, just blustery jabbering. Job, you're just blowing a lot of hot air. Now, can you imagine you going for counsel and you're telling the counselor, you know, all that's going on in your life and the difficulties you're having and, and you know, how much, you, you know, you're, you're suffering. And, and he comes out and says, man, you talk too much. You know, you're just long-winded. Can you imagine a counselor saying that to somebody who was suffering and wanted to die? Well, that's what Bildad did. And then he did the same thing the next time he spoke to Job uh, when we get ahead in chapter 18. Job had poured out his grieving soul. 
And he was waiting to hear a kind word. He was waiting to hear someone with understanding. But his friend said that, that Job, your speech, basically what you're saying is a bunch of hot air. So it's pretty clear that right out of the gate, that Bildad's words aren't going to be very comforting. And the more he talks, the more clear that becomes. Bildad's words definitely weren't the words of a comforter. Look at verse 3. Does God subvert judgment? Or does the Almighty pervert judgment? Job didn't accuse God of being unfair or perverting justice. But some of his other complaints left him open to this verbal attack by Bildad. It made Bildad angry that Job would even think that God would do anything wrong. Now, did Job forget what God did to sinners in Noah's day with the flood? Or what he did to Sodom and Gomorrah? Isn't he the holy God? And doesn't his very nature demand that, that he does what's right? Job was blaspheming God by questioning him and accusing him of doing the wrong thing. And even though Bildad's thinking about God was right, that God is just, the way he applied it was totally wrong. Because Bildad was looking at only one side of God's nature, his holiness and justice. But he had forgotten about his love and his mercy and his goodness. Now, it's true that God is light. But we can never forget that God is love also. And his love is a holy love. And his holiness is seen in love when he judges sin. Now, how are these two qualities of God, that is love and judgment, which seems to be contrary to each other, how, how are they brought together? All you have to do is look at the cross. Because when Jesus died for the sins of the world, the righteousness of God was vindicated because sin was judged. But the love of God was also demonstrated because, you see, a Savior was provided for man's sins. And at the cross of Calvary, God is both just and the justifier. And God's law said, the soul who sins shall die in Ezekiel 18.4 and verse 20. And God obeyed his own law when he sacrificed his son for the sins of man. And when Jesus resurrected, the grace of God got the victory over sin and death. And all who repent and all who trust in Jesus Christ will be saved. Now, in Old Testament times, believers, would look, believers looked forward to the cross. And they were saved by faith in a Savior that was still to come. All of the sacrifices and, and all of the God's law, all of those things pointed to the future coming of Jesus Christ. Job was a believer. So his sins had been dealt with by God. Even if Job had sinned against God in some huge way, God would deal with his child on the basis of grace and mercy and not just justice. So when we confess our sins, God forgives us of all of our sins. Why? Because he's faithful to his promise. And he's just toward his son who died for those sins. Verse 4. Bildad goes on to say, If your sons have sinned against him, he has cast them away for their transgression. He says, Job... Your children must have sinned against him. So their punishment was well-deserved. Again, can you imagine you know, how, how terribly hurt, how, how deep Job is hurting 
And how, how he must have hurt so much more deeply when Bildad said that to him. Job, your children died because they had sinned. Bildad probably thought he was encouraging Job. Maybe they weren't killed because of your sins, but because of their own sins. But you know what? They can't change anything now. But Job, you can. So don't wait too long. Think about it. Bildad didn't have any proof whatsoever that Job's children were sitting in such a a bad way that they should be killed so suddenly by God. But Bildad just plain and simple made the wrong assumption that because they were killed so young, that proved that they were sinful. And now Bildad talks to Job about his character. And he assumes that Job is wicked or he wouldn't have suffered such severe problems. But it's an uncalled for accusation against Job. Bildad's thinking Job was evil encourages Job to turn to righteousness. Verse 5. He said, if you would earnestly seek God and make your supplication to the Almighty. Boy, Bildad sure sounds spiritual here. Now, he tells Job that, that righteous people, they need to seek God. And they need to pray to the Almighty. And we do. But this was really nothing less than a subtle, you know, underhanded insult to Job. Because Bildad is assuming that Job wasn't somebody who seeks God, which wasn't the case. Look at 6, verse 6. If you were pure and upright, Job, surely now he would awake for you. Bildad insults Job some more by what he said here. Job, if you were upright... God would awake for you. He'd rise up for you. He would bless you. He would keep you from all of these problems that you're having. But since you're still suffering, the insinuation is that, that in what he said to Job is wicked. And that's why his problems have just overwhelmed him and God will not do anything about it. <clears throat> God won't awake. He won't rise up and work in Job's favor to protect him from his problems. So in verse 6a, the first part, he says, if you were pure and right, then he goes on to say in verse 7, though your beginning was small, yet your latter end would increase abundantly. Now, Bildad, uh, later on, is going to eat his words because, you know, uh, it it wasn't true. Uh, Because this is exactly what happened to Job. Later on, Job was blessed by God. At the end of his troubles, Job was greater than at the beginning of his troubles. Bildad really didn't think that this would happen to Job. Because, again, he thought Job was wicked and that God was punishing him because of his wickedness. Bildad and his two other friends came to the conclusion that Job was wicked. Again, because they thought that because Job's troubles were so severe, that could only mean one thing. And it was evil that brought such troubles on a man. And they thought if a man was innocent, it would keep him from experiencing such troubles. Now, Bildad's appeal in verses 5 through 7 is just another confirmation of Satan's philosophy. And that is, if you say you haven't sinned, then plead with God to restore your prosperity. To make things good. Because if you were right with God, he would do great things for you. Isn't prosperity better than pain? Little did Bildad realize that his words would come true. 
and Job's end would be greater than his beginning. But in the end, Job's prayer would be for Bildad and his other two friends because they were the ones that weren't right with God. It wasn't Job that wasn't right with God. Verses 8 through 10. For inquire, please, of the former age, and consider the things discovered by their fathers. For we were born yesterday and know nothing, because our days on earth are a shadow. Will they not teach you and tell you and utter words from their heart? In other words, just ask the previous generation, those who, were, who, who lived before us, pay attention to the experience of our forefathers. Because, you see, we were born but yesterday. In other words, we, we haven't lived as long as they have. We don't know as much as they do. Our days on earth, they're like a fleeting shadow, like a vapor. But those who came before us, they'll teach you. They'll teach you the wisdom of the old. Bildad, like Eliphaz before him, must support his arguments against Job. So Eliphaz's support for his arguments against Job was that, remember that special ooh, creepy vision that, that he claimed to have where a spirit came to him in a night vision and told him about some principles about mankind? Well, that's how Eliphaz supported what he had to say to Job. Now, Bildad, he's going to support what he has to say to Job uh, by, by speaking about the ancient times. That is the testimony of the forefathers. But even though something was said or written a long time ago, that doesn't guarantee that it's right. Eliphaz based his thinking on observation and experience. But Bildad was old school. He looked for wisdom in the past. Well, you know, Job, back in the day, and that's, you know, where he's coming from, what did the old timers say? What did they have to say about it? That was his key question. There's no doubt that we can learn a lot today from the past. But you know what? We can't let, us hold, let it hold us back. And too many people live in the past. They can't let it go. Therefore, they can't move forward. Just because something was written or said years ago does not guarantee that it's right. Now, Bildad didn't quote from the forefathers because he knew that Job knew the past just as good as he did. But Bildad made it clear that he respected the wisdom of the forefathers more than the teaching of his, you know, colleagues. The wisdom that's learned over the years was bound to be worth more than the words of the people who were born only yesterday. That's his thinking. But life is too short for us to learn, you know, all that they can teach us. That's what he's telling Joe. We're just passing shadows, Joe, in this world. So we'd better learn wisdom while we have the chance. Verses 11 through 13. Can the papyrus grow without a marsh? Can the reeds flourish without water? While it is yet green and not cut down, it withers before any other plant. So are the plants of all who forget God, and the hope of the hypocrite shall perish. Here, in these verses, Bildad may have reviewed some of the sayings of the forefathers as he argued from the law here about sowing and reaping. So if this law applies in nature, why not, you know, also to human life? Bildad uses the papyrus plant for an example. He says, if it doesn't get water, it withers and dies. 
Job was withering and he was dying. So there had to be a reason. There had to be a cause. And in Bildad's eyes, Job was a hypocrite. So his hope was dying. The two plants that are mentioned here, the papyrus and the reeds, they're different yet similar. Because these plants are especially connected with, the, with Egypt uh, through the Nile River. And the reference to these plants, the papyrus and the reeds, growing from a pool or a pond that would be left by the Nile River after flooding. And then in a few days, when the water is dried up, they would wither away. <coughs> so the flooding of the Nile would leave a lot of little pools around, but for a little while. But then they would eventually dry up. So these two plants needed a lot of moisture or they would die quickly. Other plants can live with less uh, less moisture. But the papyrus and the reeds needed a lot of moisture or they would die quickly. The way this ancient principle applies is that many people need good and prosperous times to survive in their religion or to hold on to good character. This was clearly a reference to Job here. He's compared, Bildad is comparing Job to the papyrus and the reeds. They grew well when the water or the prosperity surrounded him. But when that was gone, he forgot God. But we know this isn't true. Because Job didn't forget about God and all of his problems. Because in chapter 1, verse 20, it tells us that after Satan's first attack, what did Job do? He worshipped him. He worshipped God. And then after the second attack, in chapter 2, verse 9, when his wife suggested, Job, why don't you curse God and die? Job severely rebuked his wife. And then he honorably defended God. Verse 13 through 15. Or 14 through 15. Whose confidence shall be cut off and whose trust is a spider's web? He leans on his house, but it does not stand. He holds fast, but it does not endure. The meaning of the word hypocrite involves profane, filthy, immoral, godless. Job here is treated like a profane man, like a profane thing, a person whose godliness is hypocritical. It's not real. uh, real. His religion is not real. His godliness is not real. This is what what Bildad is saying. It's only a fair-weather godliness, just superficial. So the illustration of Job being as hopeless as a hypocrite is from the proverb of the ancients about a spider's web. So Job's hope is treated here like somebody that would lean on a spider web for support. And we all know that spider webs, you know, aren't that strong. So in other words, Job, he doesn't have any hope because hypocrites and the profane, they don't have any hope. Their godliness is all a show. It's outward. Because they're profane inside. That's the condition of the religious hypocrite. They're profane inside. It's all outward. This kind of godliness that's outward, it won't help anybody when they're in trouble. Bildad has come to the conclusion that God has given up on Job. And that God has left Job. And Job is a profane person who is now being judged by God. And Job is now getting what he deserves. And again, that's in Bildad's eyes. Just like a spider's web won't take a lot of stress, it will break. And it will break right away when somebody leans on it. So Job's godliness hadn't survived God's judgment because Job is wicked. And that will ruin hope in the judgment of God. 
So the web proverb that Bildad uses is just another of the proverbs of the ancients that Bildad will use on Job in the wrong way. Verse 16. Uh, verse 15 and 16. He leans on his house, but it does not stand. He holds it fast, but it does not endure. He grows green in the sun and his branches spread out in his garden. This is another proverb of the ancients that Bildad uses wrongly. Again, it shows the greatness and the prosperity of the weed. Bildad uses this picture to illustrate the great prosperity of Job. And, and nobody can deny that he wasn't prosperous. He was the greatest man among his fellow men at the time. Verse 17. His roots, they wrap around the rock heap and they look for a place in the stones. So the problem is that his roots aren't in a good place. So when the sun comes up and the heat of the day comes upon the weed, it shrivels up and it disappears. So this is the implied application to Job by Bildad. Job's godliness was hypocritical. That's what he's saying. It was a godliness that wasn't grounded in good soil, but was all show. And when the trials came, his godliness would wither away. Verses 18 and 19. If he is destroyed from his place, then it will deny him, saying, I have not seen you. Behold, this is the joy of his way, and out of the earth others will grow. So the prospects of the weed, the same prospects of Job, are spoken in terms of, First of ruin. It says, if he is destroyed from his place, that is, the hypocrite will perish. And just like in other passages in Job, the if here needs to be since. In other words, since he is destroyed from his place. Job had already been ruined by all of the problems that he was having. Like the weed that was destroyed when the sun got hot, Job was destroyed by the troubles that came upon him. It says, then it will deny him, saying, I have not seen you. The weed that was so great, so totally de- was so totally destroyed, it shriveled up into nothing. Others couldn't say, you know, a- 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 that they saw it. The fame of the famous will quickly disappear. Bildad is implying again that Job's great reputation will be the same. He says in verse 19, Behold, this is the joy of his way. Now, this is a sarcastic thing that Bildad is saying here. What he's saying, he's saying that the joy of the hypocrite is his quick destruction. Bildad doesn't hesitate for a minute to be cruel to Job and and basically to rub salt in his wounds. And at last, it says, Out of the earth, others will grow. In other words, others will take Job's place. Others will grow in the place of the weed. Job will be replaced by a man of reputation and fame. Others will take his place. Men will forget about Job when others take his place in greatness. And so Bildad, in an, it's an underhanded way of saying, Job, you're done for, man. You're history. And you're going to be forgotten because you're a wicked man. What Bildad says here about God is true. But just like Eliphaz, Bildad makes the wrong application about Job. He applies it to Job as though Job is being punished because he's been wicked. Bildad talks here about how God treats the righteous. 
God always acts with fairness. Remember that when it comes to the righteous. And the insinuation is that since Job isn't being treated kindly, as those who are right always are by God, he must not be righteous. Bildad talks about God's esteem for the righteous. Now look at verse 20. Behold, God will not cast away the blameless, nor will he uphold the evildoers. And again, this is definitely right on. This is definitely a truth of God's word. God will show honor to the righteous man. And God isn't in the business of helping evil men. What Bildad is implying here is that Job's situation, that is his great losses and and of his terrible physical affliction, you know, it shows that Job's evil in Bildad's eyes. Because if, if Job was righteous, God wouldn't have done this to him. God would have treated him differently. And then Bildad thinks only that the wicked have problems. Look at verse 21. He will yet fill your mouth with laughing and your lips with, with rejoicing. God is in the business of giving joy to the righteous. That's what he's saying. And it's true. Because righteousness has wonderful rewards and benefits. And none will be greater, no benefit or reward will be greater than the rewards of eternity for those who have been made righteous through the cross of Jesus Christ. But the problem with what Bildad said is that he implies that Job's Job's lack of rejoicing, Job's lack of joy is because of his affliction. And it shows that Job is being afflicted because of his wickedness. He's saying, if you were righteous, Job, you would be having the time of your life. Bildad has, you know, has a lot to learn about the afflictions of the righteous. He seems to be totally ignorant of the fact that at times the righteous also suffer. And many can attest to that. They suffer under heavy burdens of afflictions. But that affliction doesn't disprove their righteousness. Just because we go through affliction, it doesn't mean that we're, we're, we're uh, unrighteous. Nor, nor does it prove the fact that, that uh, they will know great joy one day. Paul said in Philippians 1.29, For to you it has been granted, notice, on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake. It's, notice, it's been granted to us. It's a given. We will suffer for Christ's sake. You know, there's no promise in the Bible that we won't have any afflictions or that we won't suffer. Verse 22. He goes on to say, Those who hate you will be clothed with shame, and the dwelling place of the wicked will come to nothing. And this is also true. The ultimate winners, the ultimate victors, are the righteous. Wickedness is a loser, but wickedness often attacks. Wickedness often hates the righteous. And I think we're seeing a lot of that in the world today. But in the end, verse 22 says, it will be clothed with shame. Notice, and the place of the wicked will come to nothing. That's their end. For example, John the Baptist. He was beheaded by Herod. Why? Because of the hatred of Herodias. But today, history shames Herod's family and his great palace. 
And this dwelling place was destroyed. While John the Baptist, notice, he's highly esteemed both in the world and in heaven. Using the ancient proverb about God to interpret Job's situation situation doesn't correctly interpret Job's situation. Again, something that was written a long time ago, it, it doesn't mean that it's right. It doesn't guarantee that it's right. So the old proverb about God to interpret Used, that Bill Dad used to interpret Job's situation does not correctly interpret Job's situation. But Bill Dad thinks it does. Bill Dad thinks, again, he thinks in his mind, it explains Job's trouble to mean that Job is a wicked man. But again, it's not true. And Bill Dad's going to learn that later on in chapter 42 when we get to the end of Job. And he's going to be ashamed. He's going to be shown shame because he's going to find out that Job is truly righteous. And that the troubles that he experienced, that the great afflictions that came upon Job, they weren't because that Job was unrighteous or because he was wicked or had sin in his life. He's going to learn, Bildad's going to learn with everybody else, that what happened to Job was because he was righteous. Because he was righteous. So in closing... Sin does ruin people. Sin will ruin individuals. It will ruin families. It will ruin relationships. But for Bildad to say that Job's family was destroyed and Job at this moment seemed helpless and that he was an ungodly wicked man, <coughs> excuse me, it wasn't fair. Nor was it gracious, especially when there was no appearance or other signs that, that Job was wicked and ungodly. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4 5, Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart. Paul said, God doesn't judge until we're dead. Let's not judge before the time. God is the judge. And whatever is going on in our life, whatever is happening, you know, those things will be revealed. God will reveal them. Because God knows the counsels of the Lord. He knows what's going on here. We don't. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word, God. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. And Lord, we thank you for your word. Because many times, Lord, we have, you know, people in our life like Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar that they mean well, God. But, Lord, they, they, they're wrong in, in, in the things that they say. Lord, help us to use wisdom when we open our mouth. And may we read the scriptures to find that wisdom, God. So, Lord, we thank you. We love you. Father, may you just be with us the rest of this week. Watch over us. Take care of us, God. And Father, we thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, Sunday.